Our first reading today is from John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and, yet the, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. The next reading is from Amos 1, 1 and 2, chapter 5, 6 through 24. The word of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of King Uziah of Judah, and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of Carmel drives up. The reading continues in chapter five, verse six, for those who are following. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel, and no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground, the one who makes the pletuses and oren and turns deep darkness into the morning, and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash out against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and take from them levies of grain. You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate, Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore... Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. In all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning, and those skilled in lamentation to wailing. In all of the vineyards there shall be wailing, for I shall pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, 
as if someone fled from a lion was but was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain, uh, grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let us pray. God of justice, convict us of your sin, of our sin, and lead us to your mercy. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So beginning last week and going almost all the way to Christmas, our readings each week are focused on the words and actions of the prophets. As you recall, last week uh, we heard of Elijah on the run from Jezebel, being sustained by a messenger from God in the wilderness. This week we hear a section of the book of Amos. Well, Amos and Elijah share uh, some things in common. Both are prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel. Both are taking a stand against the evil practices prevalent there. In Elijah's case, the problem was idolatry, especially the royally sponsored worship of Baal and Asherah. For Amos, who was active around a century later than Elijah, the problem is not idolatry, at least not primarily, but injustice and oppression of the needy on the part of the wealthy. We don't know that much about Amos. We do know that he was not a native of the northern kingdom of Israel, but rather the southern kingdom of Judah. In addition, we read right at the start of the book that he was among the shepherds down in Judah, which may mean that he was a shepherd himself, although it could also mean something figuratively. Regardless of whether or not Amos himself uh, worked in the fields, he certainly was concerned for the way the working classes were being treated in the north. It seems that the wealthy and the well-to-do of Israel, those who held the social power, were using their influence to extract money and resources from the poor, forcing them to pay high taxes on their produce and taking advantage of them with unfair prices in the marketplace. And when those who had been wronged worked up the courage to bring a complaint to the town elders at the gate, uh, the equivalent of suing or pressing charges today, they found no relief. For the elders who were appointed to decide these cases, those entrusted with the work of doing justice, they themselves were corrupt. They gave their attention not to those who were in the right, but to those who could line their pockets, accepting bribes from the rich to decide in their favor, humiliating the poor who were brave enough to step forward. Therefore, says Amos, the prudent keep silent rather than bring their case to the elders, for the time is evil and those who are wronged are better off bearing it silently than trying to get justice against those 
who wronged them. Amos's word to Israel, to these perverters of justice, is essentially this. Since you have failed to act justly, God himself will bring about justice by bringing this nation to an end. What a surprise this must have been, at least to the few who believed it. You see, the Israelites, both in the southern kingdom of Judah and in the northern kingdom of Israel, the Israelites knew that they were God's chosen people. They knew that they had a special relationship with God that none of the nations around them had. And so long as they continued to maintain this relationship through praise and worship and sacrifice, God would always be on their side, or at least so they thought. Amos reminds them again and again that the day of God's justice, the day of the Lord, as it was called, would not turn out well for them. Though they expected that day of reckoning to be a day of triumph, of vindication over their enemies, Amos tells them that day will instead expose their own unrighteousness. Though they think they are on God's good side because of their special chosen relationship, that day will come on them like a trap. And they will find that they are not on the solid ground they thought they were. As Amos says in verse 18 and 19, Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is a day of darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and met a bear, or went into the house, rested their hand against the wall, and was bitten by a snake, or as we might say today, out of the frying pan into the fire. While the Israelites might want to get back on God's good side through sacrifice and worship, God, through Amos, calls for justice. In that verse famously quoted by Martin Luther King Jr., let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. turns out that God is far more concerned with justice than they had expected. It turns out God would indeed turn his back on a nation that persistently violated God's law by robbing the poor and enabling the rich. For Amos' prophecy did, in fact, come true. Within a century, the northern kingdom of Israel would be no more, carried off into exile by the brutal Assyrian Empire, never again to be a united people. Only a remnant remained. And even they were intermixed with other peoples uh, from around the empire that the Assyrians had forced to settle in Israel as a way of breaking any chance of resistance. The remnant of this great northern kingdom of Israel would eventually come to be known as the Samaritans, who you might remember as the despised neighbors of the Jews in Jesus' time. God takes seriously. So what does that mean for us? Because to be honest, we don't have to look very far to find injustice. Today, as in Amos's day, many of us would rely on our status of being, for example, an exceptional nation chosen by God rather than to do the justice God commands. Today, as in Amos's day, the wealthy have tremendous pull over the politicians, our elders at the gate, as those who are able to hire lobbyists buy access to those who make the laws, access that the rest of us can only dream of. 
And today, as in Amos's day, whole groups of people would rather be wronged silently than come forward with their cases because they don't trust that justice will result because of their race or their gender or their immigration status. As an example, the current flood of accusations made by women against powerful men is a direct result of the fact that for decades and probably longer, it simply has not been worthwhile for these women to bring their accusations publicly, since the abusers were rarely punished and the victims were often vilified. And so until the recent shift in public opinion, and we'll see how long that lasts, the prudent, as Amos said, stayed silent. Or the Black Lives Matter movement, which whatever you think of their methods is the upwelling of public complaints that had fell on deaf ears before. Complaints that had already been long festering by the time Martin Luther King Jr. quoted Amos in that famous speech more than five decades ago. So what are we to make of God's demand for justice? I think we would do well to take Amos' message to heart that the day of God's justice is not a day of our happy vindication, but of hard judgment. That it is not the day we find out we were always right all along, but the day in which we stand before the harsh light of God's law and see our thoughts and our actions as they truly are. After all, what is it that we read in verse 24? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream Those waters are not a gentle rainfall, but something more like Niagara Falls. And that ever-flowing stream is not a cool mountain uh, brook, the kind that you can have a picnic next to, but rather a wadi, the dry riverbeds in the desert that flash flood when the rains come. Have you ever seen a video of one of those uh, after the first rain? Uh, You're standing next to a dry, bone-dry riverbed, and off in the distance you see this slow-moving blob. It's actually kind of hard to make out what it is coming towards you. And as it gets closer, you realize that it's water. It's water carving a path through the sand, pushing this huge pile of mud and debris in front of it. And within minutes, that bone-dry riverbed becomes a full torrent of rushing, violent water maybe 10 or more feet deep. Imagine that, but ever-flowing instead of seasonal, and you'll have an idea of what God, through Amos, is calling for. If you're a tree in the desert, you are planted in the right place. That gushing torrent of water will bring you life and sustenance for the dry season. But if you are planted in that riverbed, your experience of that deluge well, it won't be pleasant. The day of the Lord is like that. The coming of God's justice is like that. Not calm and peaceful, but unstoppably torrential. So what is the good news here? Well, to be honest, there isn't much of it in Amos, at least not for those Amos is addressing. But for you, at least there is this, that in your baptism, The day of the Lord has already come. That in the waters of your baptism, the down payment of God's torrential judgment was already applied to you. And you, the sinner, were put to death. And you, the new creation in Christ, was created and raised, just and righteous and free. 
though there will be a day of capital J judgment, and likely many days of lowercase j judgment before that, you have already received in full the verdict of guilty, and you have already been mercifully renewed so that the final day will be merely the unfolding of God's word already applied to you. But for the time being, you exist as two yous, always at war with each other. And so long as there are two yous, these two words of God are true of you, guilty and forgiven. And so long as you are in this world, God's law is with you, demanding justice, keeping the old you in check. But at the same time, God's promise is with you naming the new you, forgiven, justified, sanctified. And this promise endures forever. So go, care for the needy, provide for the homeless, listen to the silenced, above all, do justice. Not as a means to your salvation or to your own righteousness, but because the God that you belong to has already declared you to be righteous. Go and use your chosenness, for you are indeed chosen, not as a pretext for your own selfishness or laziness, but rather as that which moves you to give yourself away. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, and ready to relent from punishing. Amen.